How's work from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. My good friend, I like to call, I like to call him Pierre Lebrun, Captain Canada Cup. Now, after <laughs> all his work on the 1987 Canada Cup last week, Pierre, how are things in Toronto? That was a lovely distraction last week to relive those games on TSN. But now back, back to the grind, my friend. Back to the grind, and a special treat today. Joining us, John Cooper, head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and this is not your first time on Two Man Advantage, John. So I know that I, you know, it's I, you know the routine a little bit, but welcome back. How how are you guys doing? How are you and your family holding up? All right, uh, return guest. I feel honored. That's a. Is, do you guys have a plaque somewhere back there where? <laughs> It is, there is a sort of frequent flyer type thing, right? So basically, we pay you even less the more often you come on. So <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, no, it's. Uh, I think I, I wish I had a better answer for anybody in these situations saying we're doing something different than everybody else is, but uh, no, we're not. We're, um, you know, it's uh, during this time. It's been. Um, uh, there's been a lot of positive out of it, trying to bring out the negative that's been surrounding us. But, um, you know, in the business we're in, where it's on the road constantly, practice day, game day, off day, um, and just a full concentration on hockey for 10 straight months, uh, to be able to be home. And you know, I, haven't, I haven't seen my kids' birthdays in seven years, and I got to be with them both on their birthdays this year. So, uh you know, little things like that that I've never got to be a part of before. I have been now, and and so it's actually uh, it's actually been a pretty cool time in that regard. Um, not sure I can sit here and say I would pass as a uh, grade four, grade five teacher because that hasn't been going <laughs> the greatest. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's been great to be be with the family. But you know, getting to the point now, it's. Uh, I think everybody, even including the family, is like, God, when do we get hockey back? So uh, hopefully sometime soon. Well, you know, John, you mentioned birthdays. I don't know if you knew it was Scott Burnside's birthday today. So I'd be remiss Ooh. if I didn't mention that. Pretty big deal. Pretty it big is. deal. Put, put that, uh, put a little asterisk by the plaque. Now, <laughs> I, 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 this one is on your birthday. I, 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 I fail to mention this most weeks with our guests, and I, I always kind of, I get mad at myself later when I'm listening to the podcast. But we opened the podcast with the a theme song from the old Hartford Whalers goal song, Brass Bonanza, which is one of my favorite hockey songs ever. And I'm wondering, through all your coaching levels, um, you know, if if you have any stories from the old uh, Hart, was the Hartford Civic Arena. Oh, my it? gosh. the uh, I always think of my, my buddy Pat Verbeek uh, was assistant GM with us. Um, we went with Steve over to Detroit uh, because he was uh, – you, it just I always want to think of the Whalers I think of him um, no I used to when we were when I was coaching the minors uh, we played um, Connecticut who at the time a uh, budding star in Jonathan Marcheseau was playing for them and uh, huh. we used to go play in Hartford and then the year we won the Calder Cup the probably might have been our toughest series was against them and uh, we had to um, couple things. One, the worst snowstorm I'd ever been a part of in my life happened in Hartford and we got stuck on the highway leaving or right <laughs> outside Hartford, uh, for like 12 hours. Um, oh my and then, yeah, it was unbelievable. And then the other was, uh, the, uh, we played them in the playoffs and we were going to play a home game there. And for whatever reason, they're, they're building, they double booked their building. So they stuck us 
pretty apropos to the times now. They put us, we had to go play game five in a series that was tied 2-2 in the second round. Uh, they moved us to Bridgeport because Hartford, uh, they'd mistakenly booked their arena and we lost the battle. And so we had to play in Bridgeport and we played in front of no fans, game five. <laughs> but but um, I'm sh- but I'm sure, John, that uh, life on that bus for 12 hours was the same as it is now in the Lightning Charter, right? You had a glass of Camus in your hand and everything was good? Was that- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the glass was called Bud Light. And it might have been that. Or... <laughs> the uh, no, no, no. It was. Uh, oh gosh, we had some. You when you look back at your times in the minors, God, we had some fun times. But Hartford was one of the stops, and uh, um, it was. Uh, I, I just the one thing. I don't know if you guys obviously have been to the arena, but this the old school arenas where the seats went straight up. That was one of them. And you don't really see that as much anymore, but uh, I remember, and they had no, uh, I don't know if I remember this correctly, but there was no like split. It felt like lobbies. It just went from the ice level all the way up. So it was a really steep decline, but uh, I loved it. And they still played, even when they scored, they still played that song when uh, when they scored. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. it, I, so it, it, John, I, we're going to, both Pierre and I are curious about, you know, your, your thoughts as a coach on, you know, how to, you know, how to navigate these waters. And then if there is a return to play, but uh, uh, sticking with, with, with sort of your history, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm sure lots of people know this, but that you were a lawyer and that you were a public defender, I think for what, 10 or 11 years uh, before you became a, a full-time hockey coach. And in and, and Pierre, I'm sure you remember this. We ran into John and his wife uh, during the all-star game in San Jose, so a year and a half ago or whatever, mm-hmm. we had a nice chat. And I didn't realize this, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, your wife was a lawyer as well or was going to law school as well. And it, can, can you walk us through that moment where you decide that being a lawyer is – that's not going to be your job anymore. <laughs> that You decide that you're going to go to work every day with a stick and some skates and, and that you're going to be a coach because that's, you know, that's what you want to do. What, that process – what was that like for you, for you as as a per, as a lawyer, and then for you guys as a family? So it's uh, I don't want to go too deep into this because it takes time, but it's funny because I was practicing law uh, and I was coaching uh, at the time Honey Baked Midget Majors, and I was coach doing all these coaching jobs. I wasn't getting paid, and I was I was practicing law at the time. And ironically, I took our team to a Michigan State hockey game. And my future wife, who I'd not met at the time, uh, she came and met uh, my like my law partner, uh, brought her uh, to meet me. And so we met at this uh, little little place called Crunchies was the name of the bar. Uh, and and I, I dropped the team off and went to meet a few of my friends. And I I'd like I'd, I'd left all the team with the parents because we brought a whole bunch of parents with us. And then I went to meet some of my friends because I went to law school there at Thomas Cooley in Lansing. And so. Uh, we had a blast and that's ironically where I met my wife. And then um, she was in law school. So she had just graduated from Michigan state. And, and then when I t- decided to go hockey full time, uh, I, I moved down to Texarkana, Texas. And that was the, uh, that's the fork in the road that I had in my career was, okay, I've been practicing. Uh, and it was only, it wasn't, it was, it was, I've been practicing for five years and, and so now I'm sitting here saying I'm making contacts. My business is starting to grow, but, and there was always the big, but, uh, are you, what makes you get up in the morning? And, uh, it, it was coaching. And, and, and so I was, I just, it's tough to do because you know, you're not, it's not paying your bills. Um, but I just felt, you know, my passion for it. Um, how much I was enjoying it and maybe seeing a little light at the tunnel of maybe I could do this. Uh, I felt I was still young enough that uh, I got to give this a go. And uh, to be honest, I've not regretted that decision at all. And, and, and people ask me often ask me that is, well, how did you do it? Like, and you got to take a gamble and I, I'm not telling everybody that, you know, <laughs> to gamble everything away. But I think I always truly believe if you have a passion for something and uh, it does, it, it just creates, an environment in your life that um, it, it, it brings just happiness and, and you get up in the morning 
ready to, you know, conquer the world. And that's kind of how I had that, that feeling. And so, um, you know, thankfully my, at the time girlfriend, uh, who became my girlfriend, Jesse, she came with me and she's the one that really, it was tough on because well, I gave up my practice starting coaching Well, she was just starting the law. So she'd taken the, uh, we'd both taken the bar in Michigan. Uh, so she took the bar in Michigan when she graduated. Then we went down to Texas and she ended up taking the Arkansas bar. And then she took the Texas bar and anybody that's taken bar exams in, in, in the law knows that's no easy feat. They're only, they're only handed out. You only can take them twice a year and they're like two or three day exams that are just a bear. Like they're a killer. And, uh, anyway, she ended up taking there. And then when I, we moved the junior team and the North American league to St. Louis, she took the Missouri bar. So she was, <laughs> she was really, she was legging it out. And then the, the kicker to this story was when she, she, she had some great jobs in Texas and then she was look, trying to get a law job in, in St. Louis. And she ended up going to work for uh, a Mr. Ben Bishop. Yes. Ben Bishop, the goaltender's father. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we became, uh, we became great friends way before any of us were in pro hockey at all. Uh, Ben was, uh, you know, I, I think Ben at the time was probably been at Maine, uh, just started at Maine. Uh, he just left the North American hockey league. And so it's, we have a good chuckle about this all the time. And so we're really still close with the bishops and, Ironically, Ben Bishop ended up playing for me. So we have a really good chuckle about that. I, I can't believe I've never asked you this, but um, given your legal background and your wife's legal background, uh, you, have you negotiated your own deals, given your ability to read a legal document, or you still feel smart to bring a third party? And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so good. that's actually a really good question. We, uh, we've nailed them all together. And huh. um, Jess is... Uh, Jess has been great at that. So I kind of do the, I, I guess when it comes down to the, you know, financial terms or whatever that, uh, mm -hmm. that's my department. And, uh, that's always the tough one is, um, when you, you know, you go in to do your own deal, especially when you're going in to do your deal with Steve Eiserman. So it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys know all that is. And uh, trust me, he, he was, he's always been great to me. He's, uh, he's awesome, but it's, you know, like you, when you're, I, you see why players have agents because, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think when, when you go into, and, and don't get me wrong, nothing that I went through was, um, as harrowing as going through like an arbitration or something, but I could see how, you know, when those guys get across from each other and, and all you're doing is picking apart, you know, when a general manager is picking apart the player, that's gotta be tough for those players to sit through that. So, uh, because, you know, to keep the number, the GM wants you to get a number, you want a certain number, you think you're worth this. And the GM probably deep down inside says you're probably worth this, but he's got a budget number he's got to hit. So uh, you're going through these negotiations. But anyway, you know, Jess would, would do all, a lot of the contract reading for me. And then it wasn't until mm -hmm. later, um, probably my last deal, um, then we're like, okay, time to move on to a labor lawyer and as these you know as, as things intensify a little bit and the numbers get a little bit bigger uh it, it was you know i moved on <laughs> even jess was like thank goodness i don't want, i don't have the stress in case something <laughs> happens here but uh yeah but for uh most of my deals uh we both uh did a, I, I i started them and then they went through her and so it was great yeah well you saved a lot of money Good stuff. Well, unless, of course, you had to bear. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We both think uh, that that payment comes in different forms of how she thinks she should be paid, and I do. So, uh, no, it's been awesome. She's uh, she she's the greatest, and it's uh, you know people always make the jokes. How do you have two lawyers in the in the house? But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and and um, you know both like she's from Michigan and going to, to Michigan State, so. And having some of the ties there, um, it's uh, it's it's just it's it's been a great experience. Yeah, that's cool, uh, John. I didn't even ask you. I assume you're still uh, you're in the Tampa area. That's where you're hunkered down for this. So you, you stayed in Florida. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. That that's the one thing about this happening. I think if there were 
if you could chalk up a few of the places, okay, if this has got to happen, where would you want to be? This was probably one of them. So the weather's been phenomenal and, you know, you're afforded the opportunity to at least get around and walk outside. And I, I got to say, you know, with, with, when this all went down and I don't know if you remember seeing the pictures of the spring breaks, cause it was spring break here. Yeah. And, uh, and yep. then St. Patrick's day was right around the corner and it was like, it was crazy time. And, and there's a little spot uh, by the water that we often, we often go to. And I couldn't believe the amount of people. And, and I thought, wow, Florida is going to get smoked by this. Uh, and honestly, it, it never really happened. Not to the degree that we thought it would. But naturally, there's, there's, you know, every state's been hit. And I don't want to downgrade it or anything. But, um, you know, to think that we, Florida, you know, might have been one of the top two or three states to be hit. I thought that was going to happen for sure, and it never really did. So um, it's actually been uh, been a pretty good place to be. So, John, I you know, listen, we hopefully we'll have some hockey and uh, Lightning can continue their terrific season. And, and it's really, it should be pointed out that there was a lot of scrutiny on your team from across the league, I think, on how you would rebound from from last spring. And it, it was nothing but spectacular, really, in terms of a statement by your team this year. Um, but we, we certainly would, would like to see to, you know, you guys have a chance at, uh, at the playoffs. Now, you know, what format that's going to be in is still being discussed. The return to play committee uh, met again yesterday. I interviewed Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, actually last night. And he told me to be careful that we don't marry ourselves to all these different things that are floating out there. But certainly the idea of coming back with 24 teams seems to be the front runner right now. But whatever it ends up being, John, one thing Pete DeBoer, uh, your your colleague who's head coach in Vegas, told me uh, last month is that whatever the format is, he, he, he was fearful as a number one seed at Vegas is of, of having – a buy and then playing a team that uh, that got to ramp up its game by by, by winning a play-in, and I could see that. And, and so I'm wondering if you have any specific things that you know you're urging your bosses at the Lightning to make sure they talk to the league about as far as what you feel is fair. Yeah. So let's just we'll, let's just preface this and get this out of the way is that we none of the, this is all speculation on all our parts. So mm-hmm, for sure. You can't sit here and say, oh, what's going to happen? But if these things happened. So I always say, like, it seems that the regular season, finishing regular season games is slowly going out the window. Mm -hmm. With every day that passes, it just seems more the case. So let's just go with A in case that that doesn't happen. If you were to go for more teams than the 16 and you jump right in, it's, it's probably twofold. One, Pete's right. Uh, the teams that jump in right away and are it's do or die and whatever, like if they're playing a series right away against each other, um, you know, it is amped up. Uh, the other teams, whether now I, I do not see a scenario where the other teams where, where, there, where there would be a buy. I just don't, I don't see that happening. So say, cause if you have 24 teams, unless it goes like a one versus 12 or something like that, which I just don't see happening. Uh, Cause I just don't know how they would do it time wise or logistically. Uh, but right. it would, it would be um, if there was buys or if there were teams having to play each other in a different way, maybe the games don't mean as much, you know, now it's the argument, well, do te- some teams get to dip their toes in the water and get the games and do a little bit of banging to start with and then ease their way into it? Mm-hmm. Or is it better to go zero to 60? And I think you can debate it either way. Um, <clears throat> the big thing for me is, uh, you know, it's the mental aspect of the game. And I don't think it's the mental aspect of the game in the sense that, oh, we're playing playoff hockey, uh, everybody's you know, in that mode, I, I think there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a mental aspect to the game of like just wanting to play. I think you're going to have to get over hurdles like that for who knows, like what players views on stepping on the ice. Now um, I, I think most players won't care, but I think some guys will. And so getting your team in the right mind frame, uh, I think is going to be um, a big thing because everybody's going to come back healthy uh, the player, it, it's going to be almost akin to training camp. 
uh, where you've got, you got your whole stable of horses and now you're going to let them run, but <clears throat> injuries are going to be a big part of how, you know, how fast these players come back because you got to think these, when players come into training camp, they've had all summer to train. Now these guys are training off ice, but they're not really training their hockey muscles. So that's going to take time. Um, but I think you, you could make an argument. There might be an advantage for teams that aren't jumping right into playoffs right away. And, uh, and so it's uh, probably a long-winded answer. I don't think there is a right answer to it, but I do know whatever happens, it'll be equitable. And I, it sounds if there is 24 teams, that's going to be extremely equitable <laughs> because like eight teams that thought they were jumping into the lottery are now having a chance to play for the Stanley Cup. And so, um, you know, probably, probably be a fun kind of unique playoffs for the league. John, I'm I'm curious, and in terms of the the coaching mind, then, and you've obviously had time to think about various possibilities, and is what do you think the greatest challenge then is for a coach like you, and especially a team that you know was locked into a playoff spot and and uh, is in a different dynamic than you know pick a team, uh, you know Minnesota or whoever, you know a team that might have thought their season might be over and, and sort of gets a second shot at it if they go to the expanded uh, format that Pierre is talking about. What do you think your biggest challenge will be with that Lightning team, regardless of the, the, the dynamics, regardless of the setup, in terms of, okay, how can I get the most out of these guys given such an, a unique set of circumstances? Yeah, it's... Uh first of all, it's different for everybody. And for us, um, the one thing is, you know, every year only the cup only gets handed out, uh, you know, once a year and it's a long time to wait for it to come around. And it takes a lot of work to put yourself in a position. That's why, you know, what happened last year is always tough and it's always tough to lose out no matter what it was. Is it, is it tougher to lose out in a four game sweep? in the first round or is it tougher to make it all the way to game seven and lose in the final in game seven of the final, you know, in the end you, you didn't, you didn't win and only one team gets the win. The one thing is for us, you know, in the season we had last year, uh, it was special. And I, I always in the highest regard to think of that season and yeah, is, is it disappointing the way the playoffs went? There's no question. Um, but you never know how each year is going to go. And we didn't, we don't know how this year was going to go. All we wanted to know is we wanted to get back. And as this group moves forward, you don't know how many more chances you are going to have to get back. And, and so to lose this season would be tough because uh, we feel like we're one of a group of teams that has a legitimate shot. Ultimately, if 16 team get 16 teams get in, those are the 16 teams that have it or if 24 teams or what have you. But, you know, we do want that shot. So that would be one thing is like, hey, I think there'll be a, ha a lot of happy guys like for us to give our chance. But the one thing for me was, and, and I think this was one of the things that happened early with us, you know, we were kind of puttering around, I think we were 17 and 13 or something uh, after our first 30 games, something around then. And, and, you know, there was probably a little bit of criticism, a little what's wrong with the lightning and all these things. But we were finding ourselves and every single year is different. And and when we, you know, kind of make tinkering with our game a little bit, not making drastic changes, but it was more the mental side of things in our game and how we had to play. And we really and we took off. And what went we I remember 30 games in, we must have we were probably sitting sixth place in our division. And you know, probably a week and a half before the pause, we were nipping at Boston's heels uh to for first place. So I really like the way our, our, our team had, uh, had come around and the way we were playing. And that was the mindset. Like I just liked our mindset. So we need to get ourselves back into that and, uh, and, and, and sit here and say, Hey, listen, we're not reliving last year anymore. And I think that was a big thing for us was we just had to turn the page on that. And I think one of the big things too, and I'm probably sorry, I'm talking too much for you here, no, but it's perfect. was we played, uh, Columbus. We played them late in the year. We only played them once. And we had a good game with them. Um, but there was all this hype about, oh, we, you right. know, they're, they're meeting back again. Well, we went through the roster. There were 15 different players. 
you know, 15 different players playing in the game. So every year is different. Like last year was last year. We'd never get that back. And, and so this year is a completely different year. Yes, the two cities and the jerseys are the same, but the players inside of them, like I said, almost half the, half the players were different. And, and so that was a big thing for us was, hey, we got to change our mindset and get rid of last year. And I think when we did that, uh, our season turned around and, uh, and it's been good. And you mentioned all the teams when the season, if, if and when it does resume, will get all their injured players back for the most part. For you guys, it means you're captain, right? Uh, Steven yeah. Stamkos, it was six to eight weeks that was announced on February 29th uh, when he had the core muscle uh, surgery. So that's, I mean, you, you must be pretty excited to know you're getting that uh, that guy back uh, when hockey resumes. Yeah, the uh, well, we were, we were stung a little bit. And it wasn't... Um, yeah, Stammer was the was the big name um, being out of the lineup, and he was you know a legit out for you know, the first round of playoffs for sure. But it was it was our back end that was getting killed, and mm-hmm. you know we'd lost uh, Jan Ruda um, to you know, one year. of those. Mm-hmm. He was having a phenomenal year, and he was actually he was a really really good fit with Hedman. Uh, when those two were together. Uh, you know, statistically, analytically, I test at all. They were, they were great together. And so um, when, when he went down and then Hetty went down soon after that, and then McDonough went down. And so when McDonough broke his foot, now we're sitting here without those three guys. And it, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because the curse was the route. The blessing was guys like Mikhail Sergachev took their game to a completely new level. And so uh, but that's where we were really hurting. We were hurting on the back end. And and if you remember last year in the playoffs, it was the same thing happened to us. Hedman yeah, went down Hedman late in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Girardi uh, went down. He missed like the last whatever games. Strawman went down. And we just got killed on the back end. And so uh, that was one of the big worries for me. And so to be able to have all these guys healthy, including our captain, um, much like a lot of other teams getting a lot of guys back, this was uh, really going to be big for us. Uh, we'll let you go in just a moment here, but I was just curious, just sort of following up on on this notion of, of preparing for what is unknown and uh, potential return to play. Are you can you coach from afar? Like, are you in contact with guys like Steven Stamkos or Victor Hedman or or any of those guys? Or or do, and do you find that the guys maybe reach out to you to I don't know, just I don't know, talk or what's that relationship like? when you when you're distant as as we all are these days so it it really has taken on a little bit of like a feeling of the summer so when this all started out it was talking to the players our general manager was talking to the players uh, our assistant coaches and guys like you'd regularly do video with we're assigned guys making sure we're on top of it but to be honest that is it's got it's way less now and it, it's part of it too, is because nobody has answers and everybody's kind of got into their routines now. Um, you, do we, you know, are we checking in with the players? No question, but it's just different. Now you're watching, you know, our big check in now is watching Alex Kalorn do doc talk. And so then yeah, when he does that, you, you chime in there and you're like, Oh, that was hilarious. Like, this is good. And you know, we've got Sorelli and Johnson are going to do some a trivia thing and, and guys are jumping in. So you talk to them to talk about different things like that, but Really, it's uh, it's pointless now to talk about the pandemic because it just I, I, there's just so much you know uncertainty going on and and uh, you know like to, you know I talked to Kucherov the other day and you know, we're just talking about what he's doing and how you know some of his Russian counterparts are doing with other teams and it's just everybody's all over the map so we try not to talk about that too much and and kind of you know. It, we understand that at some point this is going to come back. And I think uh, guys will be real excited to be around each other. But um, the one thing for me, in this whole thing is, is, is who's, you know, how you, who's coaching the coach. So like, you know, we coach the players and stuff like that, but now is it was, it's kind of a, a time of like, well, let's ourselves get better. And so, you know, zoom, which I didn't really know what Zoom calls were till, you know, this whole thing started. And now you're an expert <laughs> on it. But, you know, we've had Zoom calls with multiple coaches in the league, uh, guys from college, guys from junior, 
uh, and everybody getting together and sharing stories, talking tactics, like everybody's opening up. And that's something that has never happened. Maybe you get that when you go to the draft and you run all these guys or, or do so, or, you know, some special event like that. But uh, that's been really a big thing for us. And, and the one thing too, is if you got to think about this, this is, it's a pause and that can't be understated because when you do these type of things and you're improving over the summer and you're trying to tweak little things to make your team better come the next year, you're doing it, but everything's different. Like your team's different. Your team wasn't the same as last year. The teams you're playing are different, but this year it's not. Every team's exactly the same. So you're getting like almost a reset to say, okay, this is what happened with your team. These are the good. This is the bad. You can tweak this here. And you're going right back in with the same players against the very same opponents. So I think a very unique situation for all of us. Uh, but I, but as I said, like getting together with other coaches during this whole thing and, 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 and trying to get feedback and has been great. And, uh, and so trying to make, take some pauses out of this and bring it to your team when you come back. Um, I think we're all trying to do that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, like I said, trying to turn a negative into a positive. Well, that's terrific, John. I would, thanks for joining us. I, and, you know, to me, that's going to be the, the complete unknown, no matter how many smart people try to figure this out. I don't, I think it's going to be so unpredictable to see, you know, how teams come out of this and, and, and how they fare, um, you know, if and when there is a, a resumption. But we know you'll be there. And who knows, the next time we talk, we'll probably be on some Zoom post-game call from some hub city. <laughs> and uh, it'll, it'll be the new normal, at least for 2020. But uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, our last game was in Toronto and that's, it, it was, uh, I, I don't know if you were there, uh, but they had the, you know, the stances, you're six feet apart and the media yeah. was back and they weren't, and now I think about it now, it's like, wow, that was a cakewalk compared to how we're walking <laughs> into things now. Yes. Uh, but, but like I said, we're all looking forward to get back and, and uh, I truly believe this is, you know, in our generation, this is uh things like this happen and and it but i think positive uh whatever it's going to be whatever there's so many negatives looked at it right now but somehow positives will come out of this and i think we'll be better than ever as a society uh and like it, it, you know the, the people you know we talk about the the front line the health workers and and people that probably have not had light shined on them much in their careers are getting it and I think, you know, it's got to be duly noted about what a fantastic job they are doing for, for everyone. And, and so at some point here, we will come out of this bigger and stronger and uh, hopefully hockey is a big part of it. Yeah. That, uh, those are, that's a perfect way to, to end our conversation. I, I, I think you, you couldn't be more right. So thank you for sharing that. And thanks for sharing your time with us and hope your family stays healthy. And, and like Pierre says, I hope we, we get to connect however we connect sooner than later and, and around real hockey. So thank you for, thanks for, thanks for brightening my birthday. That was perfect. <laughs> awesome. Happy birthday. And uh, hopefully well, maybe down the road, it'll be uh, a three Pete. I'll be in my own little special section for the uh, podcast. It, it, it'll be like Bill, Billy Joel has his own banner at uh, Madison square garden, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Boys. All right. Thanks. See you, John. Yeah. Thanks, John. We'll see you down the road. Well, Pierre, that was it's all you know what it's always terrific to catch up with John. Doesn't matter the circumstances or as I mentioned, you know, I'm sure you remember you and I running into he and his wife in San Jose. It's just he's he's a fascinating guy, and you and I talk about this every week on the podcast. Now, um, you know the, the idea of no one knows what teams will be like when they come back and. You know who will respond, and regardless of the format, it's it's going to be it's going to be so fascinating if we ever get to that point. And is there a team? So I'm going to ask a question now. Is there a team you're more curious about to see how they respond to see what happens than Tampa? Because that they're they're a team that, as you point out, have been under the spotlight literally. You know, from the moment Game Four ended against Columbus last year, I think it's fair to say that's a team that has lived under the spotlight of okay, what now? And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to find out. Yeah. I mean, and I think the big three are obvious. Like, I, you know, I wonder about the blues and their, you know, their attempt to defend their title. I, I spoke with Alex Petrangelo about that a few weeks ago and, 
you know, the Bruins, who, of course, you know, it's funny because John brought it up. Is it worse to lose Game 7 at home in the Cup Final or to get swept in the first round? And it's two different kinds of hurt. And, you know, the Bruins had an unbelievable regular season and they're just ready to go. But how will they respond? You know, they've, they've got some veteran players. And, of course, Tampa because of everything hanging over them from last spring. And, listen, John has to say what he has to say because he's got a, he needs his team in the right frame of mind. And he's obviously done an unbelievable job because the way they reacted this year was exactly what you want to see as far as, you know, sort of exercising your demons, right? Um, but the reality is you still have to see what happens come playoff time, to be fair. I mean, that's that's still a big part of the story that hasn't been written yet with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think what's a bit unfair for for them is that if and when we have a season, Scott, it it, it will not have been sort of a normal lead up. <laughs> yeah, so sure. so if 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 teams like Boston or Tampa or St. Louis don't do well, well, is it because they weren't meant to do well, or it's because they had four or five months off between their last game and the resumption of the season? That's going to be difficult to you know to to really analyze and to put your finger on. I think. Uh, once all this uh, clears up yeah well and i you know listen i yeah i think it's going to be if this had been a normal year it, it, i think that you'd have been able to make the same kind of statement at the start of the playoffs and i think it's still fair now but this is this is a, a monumental opportunity but it's also a monumental challenge for the leadership group in that tampa locker room right i mean and and john talked about it you you don't know how many cracks you're going to get at it and you know no one knows what the future is going to look like for this game and for next season all those kinds of things listen we we accept that now as the reality but you know this is a team that you know sort of let the eastern conference final get away from them in 2018 you know bounce back with 62 wins and then get swept um you know you go back to the 15 Stanley Cup final you know I think at a time when you thought maybe they would learn that hard lesson from losing to Chicago in six games in that final Mm -hmm. um but this is man the it's really on the line for you know this is listen the window's not closed but it you know for guys Victor Hedman Steven Stamkos Nikita Kucherov like that team is so stocked but they haven't found a way and you know the the light's going to continue to shine on them uh, if and when we get back. This well, spring, and or this spring, <laughs> this summer, later this summer, or this fall. Yeah, and you know it, it would not have been right to ask John about this because it's not his domain. It's Julian Breezebo's job to answer these questions. But there's also, I think, some pressure on the organization. And ter- you talked about their window, but not only was it already going to be a challenge. And listen, I always say teams that have salary cap challenges in the off season are normally the teams that that end up with so much talent that they give themselves the good kind of headaches. And that's Tampa every summer. Tampa has to figure out new extensions for all their good players, but they can't keep everyone. Well, here we go again, because, you know, Anthony Sorelli and then Mikhail Sergachev need their second contracts. Those would be more expensive, obviously, than what their, their entry-level deals that are expiring. Uh, the extension uh, for Andre Vasilevsky is kicking in. It's a $6 million raise next year. So... And, and Tampa was trying to plan around a salary cap that was going up $3 million. Well, that's not happening. I mean, the cap's not going up. We don't know whether it's going to go down or be frozen, but no matter what it is, it's not great news for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Probably the most affected organization, maybe next to Toronto, as far as the salary cap implications of, of what the pandemic's going to do in terms of really challenging the business of the NHL, right? So uh, there's a lot, you know, sort of circling around this this terrific organization that has always done things the right way since really since Jeff Vinnick bought the team and but hasn't been able to win a cup. And and to your point, here's a team that's probably more chomping at the bit compared to perhaps other teams to have this whatever tournament that it's going to be with if the season's resumed. Yeah. All right. So let's go. Let's go into that. You had, uh, you know, as we get to the end of this edition of Two Man Advantage, uh, and always a pleasure. But you had a chat with the Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, who at the very beginning of the pause was a guest here on Two Man Advantage. And man, it seems like I don't know a million years ago uh, <laughs> since that happened, and we're still 
you know the the league's still shifting through what you know what is the best plan to move forward all those kinds of things what was your takeaway from talking with bill daly um as we seem to be we the feeling is we seem to be sort of slowly narrowing the focus to actually coming up with a plan and and being able to unveil it what what was your takeaway from chatting with bill the night before you and I were taping this podcast. Yeah, I chatted with him Tuesday night a few hours after uh, another return to play committee meeting, a virtual meeting, of course. I feel like I always need to, yeah, to, no, uh, <laughs> to make that point. But uh, And that committee is where it's at, right? I mean, the, you've got NHL stars on that committee. You've got NHL PA leadership, NHL leadership. And though that's the group that is navigating these waters, trying to find a path. And, and they've met every week. Uh, for I think five weeks now and uh, you know they met again Tuesday and they're hashing through all these issues and and right now I think even though no one can get into specifics about what's in those committee meetings clearly ironing out how phase two is going to look like is 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 at the forefront right phase two means ending the self-isolation of players and teams around the league and allowing players in small groups to resume small group workouts and NHL team facilities. And here we go. We start, you know, cracking the door open a bit for return, but then eventually, you know, the retain return to play committee also has to figure out training camp. And of course, what we just talked about earlier with John Cooper, the potential format for the season resuming. And in, and in the middle of all that, of course, as I chatted with Bill Daly about, you know, the, the, the key question testing, you know, how's that going to work? The amount of tests that you need and, and, Geez, there's just so much surrounding that whole issue, and it really is the number one issue, right? Uh, uh, about making things safe for players, and and how that would all work logistically. I honestly, it, it, I have a hard time wrapping my mind my mind around it, but smarter people than me are going to figure that out, I guess. Um, and then again, you know, Bill Daly surprised me with a comment right at the end of our interview uh, Tuesday night, Scott, when he when we talked about the four hub cities, and the, and that Daly said the league is started to cut down from the long list of, of NHL teams that, uh, that made a bid that, and then he said, if that's the, if that's the scenario that we go with. So that's a new little wrinkle there. Uh, it, it, what he's saying is, and these are my words, not his, but what he's saying is depending on the timing of a resumption of season, maybe they can actually all play in their own ranks. I, I, I think that's not as likely as, the four city hub scenario. I think the four city hub scenario is still the more predominant solution. But if the season, instead of coming back in July, if the season doesn't start till mid to late August, who knows? You know, maybe the world looks different and you don't have to have the, the whole bubble city set up. So we'll see. It's funny. When I read that, I looked at it almost in the complete opposite way, that it wasn't so much okay, maybe maybe we can have some more normalcy if it's in the fall or whatever it is. I, I, frankly, I can't get my head around that, especially, you know, with some, you know, the three New York area teams and, you know, some of the areas that are still really struggling to get through, uh, you know, the, the, the number of cases and, and, the, and the death rates, all those kinds of things. I, I wondered if, he, if it was, do you need four t- cities? Maybe you do it with two. Maybe right. that. See, I wondered if it if he was if it was narrowing the telescope or the idea of narrowing it even further mm-hmm. to reduce the the logistics even further. Yeah. And if you're, you know, anyway, I just because if you're, you know, who knows, right? If you're running a couple games a day, if you're running a, you know, if you're running a round robin, which is something that was floated to me by, you know, someone familiar with the the process. Do you, you know, do you run a five game round robin which would address the issues of um, getting back up to speed in a in a fair manner for all the teams involved but you could have two divisions in one city and you know just schedule it because you don't have any travel but anyway that was when i read that i was like oh maybe he's only talking about starting with two cities so you went the other way from me well i guess the reason i thought and i think from other conversations i've had since then i think that is a consideration now about just opening in their own NHL rinks. I think it's because you're, you're seeing other sports starting to look at that, right? I think M- was it was not MLB who was hinted at eventually being in all their own ballparks this summer. I mean, so who knows? I mean, 
it's uh, again without fans. It goes without saying. No matter what the sport is, you're coming back without fans this this summer or this fall. But yeah, it'll. Uh, and the one thing I'll say is, I think we'll start to finally get answers here over the next couple of weeks, and and that's been the hardest part. I think for NHL players in particular, but for fans is just all the different scenarios and the unknown. Uh, I mean, I think the day that the NHL comes out and starts to have big announcements on the, on the draft and the format for a, a season resumption and some dates, I think that's an important time. And even if it comes with a caveat of acknowledging that it's subject to change, given what we're living through, I think that's still going to be an important time for a lot of people to be able to to make plans and, and to put their mind in the right place. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to, I want to circle back to, I was sort of joking, you know, captain Canada cup, I, your stuff on the 87 <laughs> uh, Canada cup was tremendous. And, and you know what, and you mentioned it, you referenced it, it, what a nice diversion and a chance to, you know, a chance for young fans. And I assume even probably young NHL players to really experience that kind of, you know, to get a sense of, of that event and why it was so important you heard like you frankly made a cottage industry of it right every time i turned around there was you were on there with wayne and you know it was all kinds of stuff were there was there something that surprised you as you were going through that and as the games were being played was there was there did you hear from someone that surprised you or was there a conversation that you're like well i didn't you know i never thought of that or that was so cool that that happened or was, well, on, the, the, tell us what the first thing I would say. I ended up not just for the story I wrote for the Athletic, but then I just for Twitter for because fans were getting into it, especially here in Canada. I ended up talking to and texting with boy, like at least eight or nine players on that '87 team Canada team, and and I what really came to the forefront for me was how even though that tournament for me personally is the preeminent hockey series ever played uh, in terms of pure entertainment. What really hit home for me is how the players in that team feel the same way. And, and that it, it, it's a tournament that changed their lives. I mean, you know, for Mario Lemieux to tell me that that was the best time of his life in hockey. Think about that. He was 21 and had yet to really go on and do all those great things in Pittsburgh. But that 87 Canada Cup tournament changed his life because he learned from uh, veteran stars uh, at the peak of their careers how to handle themselves and and it was amazing to hear that from from Mario but you know Doug Gilmore texting me on the Saturday night during game two game two I think is the greatest hockey game ever played and Gil- Doug Gilmore saying Doug Gilmore had a great game that night saying that he had never watched a game before other than playing in it 33 years ago he was watching oh, that, it for the first time. time with his family yeah and I, I just wow it's just unbelievable to hear that and um and so yeah it, it, it and you know the, i had younger nhl writers you know reaching out to me saying you know obviously it was the first time they had seen it because some of them weren't even alive or they were too young to be part of it and you know acknowledging what they're what they were watching was you know truly unbelievable and yeah there was a lot of hooking and holding in that air and all that but but that's what made that series so special is that it rose above it in terms of the spectacle and and again it's it's just for people to understand especially for those who are too young that that series stands alone and and you know I a lot of people yes 72 summit series historically nothing compares to 72 for the historical impact i'm talking about the entertainment value of that three game series in 87 yes the 96 world cup was huge because i think it left a huge impact for usa hockey and the growth of the game in the us but again i'm talking about the quality of the final is unmatched, unmatched, 87 Canada Cup, those three games, 6-5, 6-5, 6-5. Yep, you were right on top of it, brother. That was great. And, the, I mean, the stuff was great. And and really, at, you know, it, it, I think it's important. You know, you, I, I just think those are important stories to tell given this opportunity because this is – this is the time to do those kinds of things. I, I'm working on a piece now. I, I actually have to write it, but you know, look at the '85, '86 Hartford Whaler team. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. That? Well, it's I mean, it's a ton of fun, and uh, you know, maybe yeah, anyway, but it, I think I I, I don't want to ruin it, but uh, Claude Lemieux broke their hearts. 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. it. It came up in a few conversations. So, uh, but no, and we'll and maybe we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, but I think that it's important to take time and and to to think about these kinds of things because you know during the normal course of events you know we'd be getting ready for the start of a conference final and you know we're all you get overtaken by events all the time so it's it, i think it's important to take this opportunity to to really you know to to take stock of these kinds of things and and put them in you know shine a light on them that we might not otherwise be able to do and you did a fine job of it my friend so um yeah before we go and uh if you are you know people got time might as well listen to some more podcasts other than ours although you could always just listen to ours over and over again that's what i would do but uh, <laughs> anyway that's just me especially but, these especially the scott burnside birthday edition of two man advantage <laughs> you know i, I ran, ran out of time i wanted to tell my favorite birthday stories uh but uh, anyway wait, wait a minute like, next the, like the one i'm thinking about no, no, there's a couple that you like. So now that we mentioned, I, I will mention the one, and, and it involves uh, our good friend and colleague, Katie Strang, who, because um, I spent most of my birthdays on the road yes. over the years, and uh, it, she uh, gave me one of the most thoughtful gifts that I've ever received, which was a bowl of pepperoni in a styrofoam bowl with a candle standing at the bar at Shales Cafe in Pittsburgh. A memorable <laughs> night as well there. So, yeah. uh, Anyway. Uh, you, so you, you've had a, you've to... had a few birthdays at Shales. Okay, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Robert Bartuzzo of the St. Louis Blues, Stanley Cup champion, will join Barrett Jackman and Jeremy Rutherford on We Went Blues this week. And Brian Ralston, it's a great guy. And I once did a story on Brian Ralston after the trade deadline when he got traded, I want to say, to Boston. At a trade deadline, we were all together in uh, in Bristol, and we were working at ESPN. I jetted off to, drove off to Boston, and uh, Brian Ralston had been added at the deadline. But he joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source at the Athletic, and our good friend Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada is with Ken Weeb and Morat Attes on the Boarding Pass this week. Our good, fine Winnipeg podcast. So, and. While we're talking about podcasts, you can check out our new comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. It's hard to say. Say hello. Let us know how we're doing, what you want to hear, what guests you might like uh, for us to have on, all those kinds of things. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And... Pal, let's do it again next week. I can't think of a single reason why we won't. Right on, right on.